Mission Chats with John Crow. This is part two of my conversation with Dirk Smith from EEM. If you haven't heard the first part, please go ahead and listen to that first as this sort of continues right on from where we were at the end of that one. So I hope you'll enjoy these next couple of stories and a bit more perspective on missions from Dirk and his experience. You've shared an amazing God story right there with the request from the Ukraine. I mean, that's just incredible. But I'm curious, is there one or two other things, you know, through your experience over 10, 12 years uh, with the organization uh, that you'd like to share as far as a God story where you clearly see God at work? Yeah, one one does attach to Ukraine just in how it expanded. Uh, so I'll, I'll try and tell two very quick stories. So Ukraine, the way it grew, which is very interesting. So Poroshenko, uh, president, people who don't know, he, he had Yanukovych and he was ousted and he flew to Russia, fled to Russia. Poroshenko came in. He was the guy that was a chocolate mogul. You know, he had all the chocolate factories. Well, when he came in to now govern Ukraine, he, he asked for reports from his different ministers. And so when he got the report, from the minister of education he read it and he called the minister of education in and said okay i need explanation on something he said as i'm reading this report i notice that in this region in this region in this region in this region test scores are up and discipline problems are down okay is there a common denominator in this and the minister of education said yeah uh, that's where we're teaching the bible well i don't believe that poroshenko was a believer but he was pragmatic And he said, well, man, if that's what's doing it, we need that all across our country. So I got an email from one of the guys, one of the gentlemen, a professor who was really leading this charge. And he said, my dear friend, Dirk, when are you coming to Ukraine? I need you here in Kiev. And I said, man, I'm not coming this year. I'm going to be in in Romania. And he said, Mm -hmm. wow, man, that's close enough. He said, get a ticket. I need you for 24 hours in Kiev. And I thought, what am I going to accomplish in 24 hours? What? So I asked him that and he said, well, tells me the story. And then mm-hmm. he says, so I need you to go with me to meet with the minister of education for the nation of Ukraine, mm-hmm. because they have to hear from you. If we're going to start rolling this out across our nation, mm-hmm. that we have a supplier for Bibles because the Bibles are necessary. So I said, yeah, I can change my ticket for that. And so I flew in and we met with the minister of education, which was just a phenomenal meeting where he spent the first 20, 30 minutes just thanking us for how we were helping to change the face of their nation. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at me and he's talking through a translator, but then in English, he looks at me and he says, so how can I help you? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I see you can speak English. Yeah. So, I, so I say back to him and I said, well, here's a reality. As we begin projects and we get requests, we and this is just a fact about EEM, we believe in creating economy. So mm-hmm. when we're distributing in Ukraine, we're printing in Ukraine. We put okay. their people to work. We use wow. their printers, Great. do the same thing in surrounding countries because that's that's part of it. We're going to mm-hmm. love them all the way through it. Yeah. So we told them, said we present these large projects to your printers mm-hmm. and they staff up obviously, because yep. they've, they've got to staff up for these. And then the regional director, for whatever reason, will get a cold feet, gets nervous or whatever, and they start delaying it. And okay. that's very, very difficult. Yeah. And it's difficult on your printers. It's difficult on everyone involved. And he sat there and he looked at me and he says, oh, yes, yes. This is old school. This is KGB old school fear. He oh, wow. says, they are afraid that mm-hmm. if they work with you, they will lose job. They will lose their career. Mm-hmm. And he says, but this will happen no more. And he looked at the end of the table and his assistant, and he said, put together a letter 
that states, EEM are our partners and our friends, and their Bibles and books are welcome in every school in the nation of Ukraine. <laughs> and then he said, stamp it with my seal and get it across my desk for signature and then circulate it around the country. And then he looks back at me and he says, will this help? And I was like, yeah, that'd be a step in the right direction, my friend. And that really did. I mean, again, it didn't just blow open the door. Obviously, you deal with politics and and different things, but man, it really opened the door. But just to see the faithfulness of somebody to step out in that way. So that that one was amazing. Yeah. Then the other, then one of my other favorite stories, we were working in Greece. And we had never done Farsi, Arabic, any of the Middle Eastern languages. Right. And we got a request from a ministry there. We had a request for 10,000 to begin with. And it was November. I'll never forget. This was November of 2015. And my counterpart, our VP of European operations calls me and says, man, I got this request. Do you think we can do this? And I said, well, can we get the translation? Can we get the quality? Can we get the price point? And uh, he said, yes, yes, and yes. And I said, I'm in. I mean, not typical languages that we would do, but God's moved them into our neighborhood. So absolutely, let's let's do this. Well, word got out that we were doing that. So that 10,000 Bible request in November by January grew to over 100,000 no Bible requests. <laughs> but one of the stories was a gentleman when I went into Greece the first time and I met a gentleman by the name of Masood who was Afghani, and he told me his story. And this is the way our God worked. So Masood was coming over with his wife, Anahita, and his daughter and his son. And his son was a baby, was like months old. Mm-hmm. They're on one of those boats, one of those inflatables, and they're coming over. And of course, they're coming in at night. Mm-hmm. They come from, they're coming from Turkey. They're coming, they get to Lesbos, the island, you know, and they've got these traffickers that are paid a ton of money to. They're coming in at night. They're coming too fast. These guys are not great pilots of boats. And they hit a rock, the boat deflates, explodes, whatever. Bottom line is they all fall into the night sea. Mm. His wife has a life vest on. His daughter has a life vest on. He has a life vest on, but his he had his baby boy in his arms. Mm. And when they go in, he loses his son mm. in the water. So he comes up and there's a fire burning on the shore and it's causing light to come across on the water. And he looks at his wife, he sees his wife, and he screams to her, I've lost him, takes his vest off, and he dives down, feeling everywhere he could, comes up, gets another breath, dives down, mm-hmm. does this like two or three times. And finally, he said, it's in my last attempt. He said, I, he said, Dirk, I just, I took a breath as deep as I could, and I dove down, and, I'm, and I just started talking to God. I said, God, mm-hmm. I don't know what you're doing. If you're trying to get my attention, you got it. I mean, I'm I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm getting my family to a safe place, to a new life, to to care for them. But if you're trying to get my attention, I'm listening. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just tell me what it is. But please save my son. Save my son. So he comes up to get one more breath. And one of the passengers on the boat says, hey, look. And the front of the boat was still intact. Mm. And his little boy was laying on the front of that boat. He swam over and grabbed him. He's blue, you know, cold. Mm -hmm. And he swims for that light, which was a fire on the shore as fast as he could. And he gets there and there's who meets him, but a Christian nurse Mm -hmm. stethoscope around the neck, takes his baby, takes him over to the fire, warms him up, puts a blanket around him, checks his vitals, hands him back and says, he's good. He's good. Just keep him warm. Yeah. Mm. Well, 
that transformed that and some other things in in Masood's life to where God has just used Masood in some amazing ways. And we've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of Muslims come to Christ. Mm -hmm. And Masood is, I mean, he's a key player in how God used him. So, yeah. So those, I mean, you just see God's hand everywhere, everywhere. And when people give up and when they're truly humbled and they serve him, he opens doors. Mm -hmm. Wow. Beautiful story. Thank you. So, Dirk, obviously some very exciting opportunities uh, that you've experienced in your time with EEM. And I'm also, you know, seeing your your background in kind of corporate experience as you shared earlier on as well. So I'd love to hear how you would describe missions from the experiences you've had coming out of the business world, if you will, and, and how that's looked in your context. Yeah. I mean, as I kind of said earlier, I think all of us are in mission, you know, whether we, you know, not everybody has to do what I did. I mean, that's a, that's a personal thing. And I, I decided, Hey, I feel this call from God to use what he's given me to, you know, in operations. So everybody, unless we just live as a monk (laughs) and don't interact with people, we all are in mission Mm -hmm. and our mission is, I mean, Jesus said it before he left. I mean, make disciples, go and make disciples. And so I do, I, I have a hard time and I, I don't mince words. I, I don't hold back when somebody tells me, man, you know, I love Jesus and, and I'm an all in disciple of his, but I just have a hard time talking to people about Jesus. I just can't talk to him. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? You need to stop saying that. And they'll be like, what do you mean that I have a hard time talking about Jesus? I'm like, no, that you're an all in disciple of his. Cause you're not, Wow, you're not. <laughs> You're just not because yeah. that, that that can't happen. I mean, again, people don't have to do it the way I do it or you do it, John. I mean, we're all different. But if we're impacted by Jesus and he has truly transformed and is transforming our lives, then how do I not talk about that? Right? How do I not talk about the person who has given me hope? I mean, you're listening audience who – there are people who have gone through what I've gone through or worse with losing a mate or just life struggles. Mm-hmm. How do you not tell somebody when you've gone through it and you know it was Jesus and his spirit living in you that sustained you and answered those prayers for you? What kind of a selfish human being must you be mm-hmm. to keep that to yourself mm-hmm. and not share with somebody? You want hope? Yeah. Let me tell you about the hope. Let me tell you about the way, the truth, and the life. This is it. He's it. So that's missions. We're all in it. Right. I don't care how you do it. Yep. But if you're an all-in disciple, guess what? You're going to get creative. You're going to get creative, and you're going to evaluate the gifts and talents that God has given you, and you're going to look for ways to share Jesus. You're going to look for ways to share your Lord and Savior with anybody and everybody that he puts in your path. But again, do it as light and salt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't be blinding. Right. Don't be over salty. Oh my gosh, that's just that's disgusting. But then don't be non-existent. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think so many of us we do the pendulum swing. Like, well, man, I don't like that ugly Christian-looking thing, and so I'm just not going to do that. I'm right. just not going to because boy, you can't talk about Jesus. That that makes people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Make people uncomfortable. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. I mean, sometimes we need uncomfortable, but do it in love and mm-hmm. do it in a way that's again, it's got to be real. I mean, if it's artificially created, mm-hmm. that's what doesn't work. Yeah. That's yep. that's never going to resonate with people. So 
know, I don't know if that answers your question or yeah, not. That's, that's awesome. I really appreciate that clear-cut word. Uh, definitely, I think, a, a, a wonderful challenge for all of us, uh, and hopefully for some of our listeners as well. Now, I guess to kind of wrap this up, Dirk, one thing I, I thought might be interesting, I normally ask people, you know, what advice they give to others considering mission service. I think it'd be interesting to hear a little bit kind of from your perspective coming out, you know, from a professional kind of role in, into this role that you have with EEM, but also just that idea of the need for the back office, if you will. You know, so often we think of missions and it's out there, you know, on the front line, let's call it. Uh, and yet, much like, you know, an army or even a corporation, it can't happen without the fundraising, the marketing, kind of those somewhat practical pieces of the puzzle. So if you'd maybe just talk a bit to that for us. Well, I think what has to be, you know, when people want to get in and they want to run a mission effort or a nonprofit, they need to not be afraid to say exactly what it is. This is a nonprofit business. It's a business. So put people in the right seats and, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I don't have a theology degree. Right. I don't need to have a theology degree yeah. to do what I'm doing. Sure. Mm-hmm. I'm running a business yeah. and I need a business degree, which I have an MBA. Mm-hmm. So put people in that role and make sure that you're self-evaluating, mm-hmm. that you're surrounding yourself with good people. Get good business advice. Get good legal advice and recognize that this is God's ministry. So keep overhead low because whatever your mission or your effort is, maximize it for God, maximize it for Jesus. I mean, we're all called to do this no matter what we do. If I bear the name of Jesus, I strive for excellence, not to pat myself on the back and not to say, oh, look at me, but because I bear his name and I'm going to be excellent because he's called me to excellence. And so my team will say this, I believe in contentment. Contentment mm-hmm. is the cinder block walls that God's put me in. Yep. But I am the least complacent person on this planet. Okay. And if we are not doing it better this year than we yep. did last year, if we are not more efficient. So right now, today, you give me a dollar, 89 cents goes out the door in our mission work. Mm-hmm. We are refining that. Like I said, I'm calling you from our Nashville office, which is my house and everybody offices out of their homes. You keep overhead low. So I would tell people, man, pray through this and look for ways to build in efficiencies. Technology really gives us an availability today. Cut overhead, you know, pray about it, pray about the opportunity, how you can maximize Mm -hmm. what God is calling you to do and to recognize isn't it about you. It's not about you. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And yet God chooses to use us, which is the amazing thing. So, yeah. And, and why does he? You know, that's the thing, John. Why does he choose you? Because he loves us and he knows we're going to be blessed. I, I tell my team all the time, I liken it to the story of uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Mm-hmm. Why did he choose to do that in that way? He had already brought manna from heaven. He could have done it again. He had all these people and they said, you know, they came to him, man, Jesus, these people are hungry. We need to send yeah. them home. He's like, ah, sit still. You know, I'm going to bring manna from heaven right. and quail and quail. Yeah. You're going to come <laughs> right. to him. I'm going to bring quail and, and manna. But no, what does he say? He looks at them and they knew because they were in Capernaum. So Mm -hmm. they knew some of these people. These were friends of theirs in this crowd of 5,000 men, which, you know, we knew it was a much bigger crowd. But he says, you know, you want to see the playfulness here, but the teaching of Jesus. I just, Jesus is the master storyteller, just Mm -hmm. so incredible. And he says, well, go see what we have. (laughs) Can't you just see him, John, going, (laughs) what? 
see what we have. And of course they respond, Lord, come on. Yeah. It's going to, it would take a year's wages to feed all these people. How, we're not going to find that here. Where are we going to find that? And then they come back kind of playfully and say, all right, here you go. Yeah. Big guy, you know, <laughs> we, we got five loaves and two fish. What are you going to do with that? Yeah. And then he calls their hand and says, all right, have people sit down in groups of 25, 50, you know, get them in small yeah. groups, you know, that we can manage this. And, you know, here's where their faith came in. They had to fear embarrassment. They had to fear, oh, my word, we're going to start handing out five loaves and two fish. They're going to be gone. And these people are going to look at us like, really? That's what you thought you were going to do? That's it? How are we going to eat? How are we? And then the fun that ensued mm -hmm. as they began handing it out. Can't you just see Peter, you know, looking over at John going, John, dude. You still got fish? You still got bread? He said, yeah, man, I can't get rid of it. It keeps multiplying. I mean, this is crazy. Yeah. And they're laughing and they're having a great time. Mm -hmm. But who did the miracle? Yeah. Jesus. Jesus' miracle. Mm -hmm. But he invites us in because he knows, one, we're going to have fun. And really, most importantly, our faith is going to be increased. And we're going to walk away from that experience, whatever it is, and say, man, we serve a God who not only can do, is doing more than we could ever ask or imagine. He is amazing. Amen. Wow. Thank you. That's a wonderful way to put it all. And I appreciate that so much. And Dirk, I really express my appreciation to you for making the time for this call. And it's been a wonderful conversation. I'm excited to uh, share it with our listeners. Uh, yeah. So just thank you uh, so much. And hey, thank you for the invite. Enjoyed yeah, it. John, God bless very much. all that you're doing there and the work of EEM. Just excited. Like I said, yeah, I kind of learn about it myself. So, Well, if I could throw this in, you know, for sure. I mean, if people want to learn more, then go to our website. Yeah. It's EEM.org, just EEM.org. We also have a podcast. So your listeners, I mean, they can go and, and we're sharing. We do a lot of interviews with uh, people over there. It's uh, 5511 after Isaiah 5511. So it's on Spotify, Apple, just wherever people listen to to podcasts. But we would love to have them listen along on our podcast as well and yep. appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Yeah, for sure. And I'll have all those links in uh, the show notes for these episodes. And I hope it will be something you can connect with and hear more of these amazing stories of what God's doing through EEM's ministry. Well, God bless you, Dirk. And thank you, John. Thank you, again. you too. Right. You too. As always, thank you for your interest in Mission Chats, and I hope this has been a great encouragement as you've listened to Dirk share the things that uh, he's experienced and the perspective he has. So with that, until next time, thanks so much. Find us online at missionchats.com.